He's retired from the NYPD, the New York Police Department. He spent much of his career in the famed ESU unit, Emergency Services Unit. He was shot twice in a line of duty. He's here to tell us about that and much more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Get access to free podcast versions of the show and more on Facebook. Do a search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Connecting with us from upstate New York, we have Al Baker on the phone. Al is a retired NYPD lieutenant. He spent much of his career working in the famed NYPD's ESU Emergency Services Unit. Al, first of all, thanks for being a guest on the show. Secondly, and most importantly, thanks for your service. Very much appreciated. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that honor. We're thrilled to have you here. We're going to be talking about a couple things. Actually, two things. You were shot twice in the line of duty, which we'll talk about in a, in a few moments. And then when you were overseeing the ESU, you wound up in a situation where you had to shoot some polar bears, and we will talk about that as well. Yes, polar bears in New York City. I know it sounds strange, and I'm <laughs> sure you took a lot of heat for that. Al, oh, yeah. how long ago did you retire? Well, I retired from the NYPD in 1990 after 25 years, but then I uh, worked as a, a law enforcement shield instructor nationally and internationally for 10 years. And then I worked for three years as a training manager for ATF. And then uh, in 05, uh, I invented a shield and went into the shield business. So we talk about uh, shields. We didn't have those things when I was policing. What is the shield you're talking about? So it's a, it, the common term for the shield is bunker. It's a uh, it's a, uh, a a piece of armor that's typically square or concave that has handles on it, and it typically has a viewport, and it's used for high risk entries or hostage barricade situations, and it stops bullets. You can see through the viewport, and uh, it's typically in the twenty inch wide by thirty six inch high uh, dimension. And it's very common in SWAT work and in, uh, like I said, high-risk entries. Look, we didn't have that. And there's many things. I started policing in 1980. I retired. I got hurt and retired young at the the age of 33 in 1992. So our careers overlapped. You started before I did. I'm an old revolver cop. And we began transitioning at the retired into semi-automatics. A lot of things, a lot of the tech nowadays we didn't have back then but i believe a lot of policing is still the same right yeah i mean uh it, it's uh 
policing is uh, eternal, perennial, uh, you know, ongoing, and uh, the basic uh, protection of life and property is the simple mission of right. police work that's been that way forever. Yeah, and, and I was trained by old timers. I was trained by a lot of Vietnam veterans, combat veterans. We had a right. couple of Korean War veterans or command staff, and they had a right. different approach to policing. But the number one thing is the term we hear all the time now, we hear two terms, de-escalation, which was every day. We always try to do that. And the other was community policing, which was everyday policing. I didn't right. know it became a thing until a few years ago. Right, right. Well, you know, community policing, as you said, I mean, it goes all the way back to the beat cop back in the back in the 1800s. We didn't call it community policing, but it was. And, uh, you, you know, in today's day and age, it, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, putting putting a more contemporary term on something that we always did. Right, right. And I'm sure you were draining the basics, too. The number one thing, and for your story, I got I, I to say this, we were trained from day Day one, you treat everybody respect, every, especially in their own home, until right. they change the tone of the conversation. There's absolutely no backing down then. Right, right. Well, you know, the old timers in the NYPD, they used to use a phrase that it took you years to figure out what they really meant. The phrase was, do the right thing. And you said, you know, when you were a rookie cop and you didn't have the experience, you said, what does that mean? Right? What, what does do the right thing mean? And uh, years later, y- you realized that do the right thing meant everything that you did should be right. You know, uh, and sometimes uh, we talk about the old timers and the old school and all that stuff. And perhaps many of those old school veterans didn't always conform to the letter of the law, let's say, but yet there was a barometer of correctness and fairness that it was uh, implicit in that term, do the right thing. And that's the way I was brought up. That's exactly the same here. Uh, and we yeah. use different terminology, but it's the same thing. And uh, we could yeah. talk for hours about that alone. I, I want to get into one of my biggest complaints with the news media, and believe me, I have many of them, and, and partly it's our own faults because most police departments do not allow their police to talk to the news media at all. Right. And, when, and before is always wrong. They always got it wrong. But when an officer was shot, they always say the good news is the injuries are not life-threatening. And they never talk about what the officers went through. Uh, nowadays, right. it's so misleading and so biased, it's not even close to the truth. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, I remember uh, coming home because obviously being a lieutenant in emergency service and spending my career in that unit, I was always involved in the most sensational situations, and they invariably were in the newspaper. So I'd come home the next day and put the newspaper on the kitchen table, and the kids would come around and read the story with me, and I and and I, and they'd say, "Well, what what happened?" And I'd tell them what happened. They'd say, "Well, it doesn't say that." It says this. I'd say, yeah, they didn't get it right. Yeah. And uh, that was always the way. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how you explain that. I guess the reporters do the best they can. They do what they think is right, but they don't They don't always get it right. And, you know, we don't always tell them the whole story. That's they don't exactly always ask for the whole story. Right. And we don't always tell them the whole story. Well, so, in a way, we have, we have a lot of responsibility because our stories aren't being told. And the reason they're not being told is because we don't tell them. And if exactly. people don't know, 
Well, we have no one to blame ourselves because what they're getting from the news media, and I'll give you an example. Uh, there's different newspapers in New York City, but we use Baltimore as an example. They always had the philosophy, if it bleeds, it leads. You look at the yeah. newspaper nowadays, in the news, it always leads with what the cop did last. It doesn't talk yeah. about, for example, cop shoots man. They didn't talk about the 50 things the guy did before that could have changed yeah. the outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they show the final moment of what, uh, and they leave out everything that led up to that uh, necessary use of force, as we say. Yeah, and it's uh, all the details are buried. Well, they know that we've become a society that's driven by headlines and small sound bites. And look, the the 24 our news cable channels they're they're as guilty of this as anybody else Um, and they all cater to getting as many eyes and ears on their product as possible we're talking with al baker al is retired nypd lieutenant spent much of his career in the esu unit which we'll talk about in a few moments he was shot twice in line of duty and was on scene when a couple of polar bears had to be shot and killed he'll tell us a story heading away on Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What is the Haunting or Not podcast? It's a free podcast that takes a different approach to ghost stories, hauntings, and cases of demonic forces. Husband and wife podcast hosts mix comedy, facts, and a healthy dose of police evidence skepticism to help you decide. Are these hauntings or not? Helping you decide what's real and what is fake or an overhyped exaggeration. From world-famous cases to lesser-known reports, they talk about them all in the Haunting or Not podcast, available for free on most podcast platforms. Or do a Google search for Haunting or Not podcast. I am Meg Marie O'Rourke from Harmony with Food. Do you ever wonder what foods you should or should not be consuming based on your own unique needs? At Harmony with Food, we are now able to determine exactly what foods we should or should not be consuming through advanced testing. Test, don't guess is the motto at Harmony with Food's BioUnique Boutique program. It has never been easier than now to determine what food, drinks, and supplements you need for your individualized needs. Head over to harmonywithfood.com and click on the testing tab. Return to our conversation with Al Baker, retired lieutenant from the NYPD, spent much of his career in the famed ESU, Emergency Services Unit, and he was shot twice in the line of duty and also on scene when a couple polar bears had to be shot and killed in New York City. Al, first of all, what is ESU? I have, there's an old saying I remember that when police need help, they call ESU in New York. Am I correct? Well, the, the the actual saying goes something like this. When a citizen needs help, they call the cops. When the cops need help, they call ESU. So essentially, ESU are the cops' cops in New York City. It's a 35,000-member police department. It's a 400-member ESU. And we do everything from cutting rings off swollen fingers to uh, rescuing people from uh, the Brooklyn Bridge, from the top of the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, bomb scares. We assist the bomb squad team. Uh, we do searches, we do water rescues, we do uh, hazmat, we do vehicle extrications, we do every form of rescue, medical rescues, everybody's a state-certified EMT, everybody's a state-certified diver, uh, we do special weapons, hostage barricade situations, and uh, all form of uh, warrant executions and, uh, and uh, high-risk entries. 
that pretty much sums up the I think that covers a lot of territory, to it, be honest it, with it's, you. It's an everything job. It, it's a, that's what makes it such an amazing job because, you know, it's a very select unit. There's a lot of training. The school today is eight months long for uh, new ESU officers. It's a uh, highly screened, selective uh, uh, process to get in. And, uh, you know, it's a, it, the fact that you're working with some of the best cops that you've ever worked with in your life it makes it so so wonderful and so great. If you are still communication with anybody in the department, please tell them I said thank you for all they do. And uh, oh, especially I will. The ESU uh, people. I, 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 I happen to be the president of the Retired Emergency <laughs> Service Association. So Look, I know I somebody then. I, I got a connection up there. If I get in any kind of jackpot in New York, I'm, I'm, I'm a drop a dime. I'm calling you. You tell them you know Al Baker. They'll run the other way, but that's uh, all right. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Al, you had... Uh, the extreme misfortune of being shot twice in the line of duty. Was this before ESU or it was a combination? No, it was during ESU. Uh, and I, you know, I don't, I lost count of the number of shootings that I was directly or indirectly involved with in 25 years. But, um, as a, as a Lieutenant commander, I had, I had a van with a robot and a, and a big rifle shield and I went on almost every hostage barricade job in the city over my tenure. So, uh, I, I was involved in, in many shootings, but the, the first time that I actually got gunfire was, uh, on Clinton Street in New York city when an individual had been holding his two children hostage on the 11th floor of a uh, of a high rise and uh, we attempted to negotiate with him we brought in a uh, mandarin speaking hostage negotiator we went on and on for hours and uh, we put up the shield. we took down the door to the apartment and we took uh, we put our shields up in front of the door but there was a crack in the shields cuz we couldn't overlap them and we couldn't get complete coverage and he fired a 12 gauge shotgun through the crack which ricocheted and hit and uh, I got uh, uh, pellets, ricochet pellets in the face. Uh, nothing uh, life-threatening. Uh, just some, just you know, just some, uh, just some wounds, some facial wounds. So, uh, and then eventually he uh, shot and killed his both of his children uh, during the negotiations. So we basically failed, and uh, he had the uh, the door barricaded. We couldn't we couldn't get in if we wanted to. It was a uh, concrete walls. And um, then there was an exchange of gunfire between he, a final exchange of gunfire between he and one of my officers standing next to me, and uh, he was shot and killed. First of all, you said something very profound. You said, we failed. Uh, look, I, I get that. I know what that means. I know how you feel. But you, you also realize, and I'm sure you're in agreement, you're not God. You, you, you know, you're not Superman. You can only do... And no matter what the news media says, you can only do what you can do. Right, right. And I appreciate that. That means a lot. But, you know, and, 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 and you as a cop and, and any other cop that listens knows that of all the life and death that we see in our careers, the one thing that really, really brings home to our emotions and our feelings are children. Yep. And uh, these two kids, uh, innocent children, and basically 
murdered in our presence while we were there. And, you know, I say failed because, you know, we, we came there, we came there to say, I mean, obviously I'm, 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 I shouldn't be laughing, but it's, it's almost funny in the, in the sense that everybody we came to save is, you know, is dead. Right. So, no, I get it. Look, look, and you and I, when I say you and I, police in general, we laughed about things because otherwise we cry. Exactly, exactly. But but kids. The the point of my my follow up was that when it comes to kids, you know that's that's something that hurts because you know most of us have kids and most of us feel the the pain of a, of, a, of a innocence of a child. The other thing for me that I'll be honest with you, Al, I still struggle with. I have not, I've not found a way to conveniently put this into the right cabinet in my brain. When children are harmed, killed molested maimed especially by parents by those who love them i cannot i cannot come to grips with how can someone who supposedly loves someone do this to their children i just don't understand that yeah, very, very hard to get the mind around that and, and that was that's one of the reasons why we we just felt so terrible because and 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 those kids they were they were so obedient there was not a not a sound came out of them you know they they were doing everything that he told them. we had a we had a camera uh from the floor above on a pole going into the window looking at him and seeing we didn't see the little boy but we saw the little girl going back and forth in the camera in the camera view so uh, it was it was a tough ending you know yeah and i'm sure the guy was the term that people love nowadays is emotionally disturbed uh, look I, I, i'll say this you can have mental issues all day long i i have lots right. of compassion and empathy but the moment you threaten someone else's life it's a different story Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, the emotionally disturbed, uh, man, you know, uh, moniker is is kind of overworked, you yeah. know. I mean, everybody's emotionally disturbed from one point to another. You know, uh, we call them EDPs, emotionally disturbed person, but we have a little slang for that in NYPD. We call them everyday people, you know. Yeah. So it's and it's kind of it's kind of true because uh, who among us doesn't get emotionally uh, ramped up every now and then? You know, it's part of life. It's part of the human condition. You One know? of the things that just about everybody I've had that's worked in law enforcement for any period of time on the law enforcement talk radio show, they all say the same thing. To some degree or another, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit dinged up. I'm a little bit messed up. And I'm okay yeah. with that. It comes with the territory with this job. Well, you know, I used to tell my cops, you know, if, if, you, if you're in doubt about what you're doing, you know, take out your badge and read it. If it says something about police work, you know, that should be a clue. Because, you know, you came into a job that you're going to have a front row seat to life and death for every day that you're on that job. It's going to be the most uh, uh, difficult thing or sometimes the best and sometimes the worst. You know, police work can be described as endless hours of boredom punctuated by moments of shame. Absolutely. We're talking with Al Baker, retired NYPD lieutenant, much of his career in ESU. When we return, we're talking the second time he was shot. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's J-A-Y at letradio.com. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me. 
and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Returning our conversation with Al Baker on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Al is retired lieutenant from the NYPD, spent much of his career in ESU, and that's the Emergency Services Unit. By the way, fascinating job that yeah. they do. But you, everybody in that unit started off as street cops, didn't they? Yes. In, in fact, uh, you'd have to have five years experience uh, with a good record, good productivity uh, in a high experience uh uh, area of the city uh, with a good record, and then you'd have to bring some skills to the table. You know, uh, you'd have to have maybe some medical skills, some military skills, maybe some rigging or some some trade skills, carpentry, electrician, because all the different uh, calls that we get cover every type of mechanical situation imaginable. So they have to come uh, with skill sets first, and then they go through a rather extensive screening process process. There's uh, high-angle testing, uh, confined space testing, uh, there's mechanical aptitude testing, there's psychological testing, there's interviews, there's weapon screening. So there's a whole battery of of screening before one even becomes a candidate. And by the way, I didn't say this earlier, and I should have. Al has still got his thumb on the pulse of what's happening in in policing. Uh, Check out his website, bakerballistics.com. That's B-A-K-E-R ballistics.com during your career in the ESU in the NYPD you, you you talked about earlier and we'll get into the details of recovery in a moment when you were shot on scene uh, with ricochet rounds from a shotgun there was another right. shooting where you were injured as well yes so so uh, in this particular instance, this was out in Brooklyn, and uh, it was out in, uh, out in, in, the, in the Cropsey area of Brooklyn, the 6-2 precinct to be exact. And uh, this individual was an ex-con, and a middle-aged guy, ex, ex-con, did his time, lived on the second floor of a two-story frame uh, neighborhood house across the street from a public school, and... Uh, he had a bunch of weapons in his house. He had rifles and, and pistols. So uh, the way the story went, before we got there, I was told that uh, somebody was trying to steal his car, which is an everyday occurrence in Brooklyn, of course. And uh, he went to the window and started firing shots. And, uh, of course, that drew the patrol officers. They came, and uh, for some reason, uh, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't wrapped all that too tight, and uh, he starts shooting at the cops. I don't know whether he he thought the cops were after him for shooting or whatever the case may be. Anyway, they uh, evacuate the, the area, call for emergency service. So we respond, and uh, and of course, uh, I, I have my van, as I described, I have a ballistic shield, I have ballistic blankets, I have a robot, I have all this special equipment that we use for hostage barricade perimeters. So uh, when I get there, they, they said, well, he's confined to, to uh, his bedroom, and it's at the top of the stairs, and uh, you can go up the fire escape and be in the room behind the bedroom. So... Uh, 
they said, we, we'd like you to go up there and uh, see if you can get a hole in the wall and get a fiber optic in there to uh, see his environment and get a better look at him. He's not being too responsive. We're trying to negotiate with him. We take the roof hatch off the top of the roof where the staircase is, and we put a, we put a ballistic blanket on the top of the roof. He's shooting all day out, uh, through the walls, up the stairs, out the windows and whatnot. We have a sniper up, but we're not, we don't want to take we want to try and talk them out. Right. So the negotiator's up on the top of the stairs. I get up to the back room. It's just a sheetrock wall. I put a blanket up on the wall, a Kevlar blanket. It's a 3A, means that it stops pistol rounds. He's got a 45 uh, semi-auto, and he's standing maybe a foot and a half from me, facing me with the gun facing me through the wall, but I can't see him. And he's talking to the negotiator, and uh, I put the look. Luckily, I put the blanket up. Uh, I almost wasn't. I had to be reminded, hey, this guy's shooting all the time. Why don't you bring your blanket up? So uh, I put the blanket up. I start uh, making a little, uh, silently making a little hole in the wall to get the fiber optic through so we get eyeball on him. And uh, bam, he lets a shot go. It's 45. It comes through the sheetrock, just a couple of layers of uh, thin sheetrock, and hits me uh, in the lower abdomen, uh, but gets stopped in the Kevlar. So I basically got saved by, by the Kevlar. And uh, the, 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 I'm laughing again. The, the, the bullet, you know, 45 is a big, slow bullet. Right. And uh, it, it, it hurt. It hit me. It hit me good. And it hurt. It hit me under the vest and uh, probably would have taken out my whole uh, lower abdomen. And God knows what it would have done. But there it was. It, it kind of bounced off the blanket and there it was laying on the floor. I picked it up, put it in my pocket, and went back to work. You know, so, I mean, it hurt a little bit, but uh, we had a mission to do. And uh, next thing you know, we start, we start putting uh, chemical agents in there. We start putting uh, uh, tear gas in there. Um, and uh, after, after a few more hours, he does surrender. But the interesting thing about it was, and I'm sure you hear this story all over police work, that he was less bothered by the tear gas than us. Yeah. We were all coughing and hacking, and he was like, no I'm problem. not laughing at you, Al. We had an old saying. Remember back in the old, the Mace days? Oh, yeah. We used to have a saying that that stuff only worked on innocent bystanders and police. It never worked on the bad guys. Never works on a bad guy, you know. <laughs> you, you, you know? Bad guys ever. And we yelled, "Whatever you do, don't spray that stuff." Oh, that's so true. You know, <laughs> I mean, and and the wind, the wind knows exactly, you know, how oh, to blow it back in your face. You it's know, like the old camping stories. No matter where I am, that the, the camp smoke from the fire is going to follow me. It it does yeah. it does not matter. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I'm glad to hear it wasn't just me. But here's one thing: oh, no, you, no. you you had a couple of really close calls, and I'm sure you had many of your career. Oh. oh, yes. Every now and then, I I get to thinking. I was in four shootings in a little more than 10 years. And uh, back yeah. then, like you, we just called them shootings. There were no officer involved. It's just a shooting. And yeah. I lost count of all the other close calls and, and shots fired oh, yeah. and all that stuff. But oh, yeah. they were never like they're well, portrayed in the media. But I thought to myself, Alan, I got to ask you this. Do you ever think, how did I manage to survive when so many other great cops didn't? 
you know, uh, and I was I was known for that because I'd get back to quarters and the guy'd say, "Not you again." You know, that's how many narrow cases I had. I had a guy throw a hand grenade. Got, guy, guy killed a cop. He was barricaded. We went in. I shot him. Didn't kill him. And uh, he threw a grenade at us and had a, and had a stovepipe in his in his forty five uh, Thompson replica. And uh, it, it didn't get any closer than that. He would have killed us all with that if that grenade went off. So I I. I can't tell you. I mean, I must have survived 12, 14 more, a dozen or more cases that only for the grace of God, bullets going past my head, you know, so. I don't have the answers, and I, I wish I did. Oh, to be honest with you, I'm glad I don't, because yeah. there's, there's no logic to this. And one of the things I hear people say, oh, by the grace of God, and you, you said it, which is fine. But it's like, yeah. well, a lot of these other guys that were real, I say guys, that's men and women. They're great cops. They did everything great. They were better than me in many ways. They were more yeah. faithful, and they didn't make yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I always, I always say, you know, God's been better, better to me than I've been to Him. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a bad guy. I try to be live my life upstanding and God fearing as a Christian and whatnot. But, uh, you know, uh, if you put the God factor in there, my goodness, it, it had to be. I mean, yeah. it, it, I, by I the don't way, know what I sometimes fall far short of the measure of uh, comparison when it comes to people who really, really great people. But I'm much better guy than I used to be. We're talking about Al Baker. He is retired NYPD police lieutenant, spent much of his career in ESU. When we return, we're going to talk briefly about a story where his unit had to shoot some polar bears in New York City and the heat and blowback they took. This is a law enforcement talk radio show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the law enforcement talk radio show Facebook page. LETradio.com is our home on the World Wide Web. The internet. You can find all of our content, including past episodes of the radio show as a free podcast, plus special podcast episodes that were never aired on radio, unique blogs, and much more. Don't forget to sign up for our free email newsletter and much more at LETradio.com. That is LETradio.com. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Return a conversation with Al Baker, retired NYPD police lieutenant, spent much of his career in the famed ESU Emergency Services Unit. Uh, check out his website, BakerBallistics.com. That's B A K E R Ballistics.com, which we will talk about in a moment. When I got introduced to Al, someone told me a very quick headline He shot and killed two polar bears. Well, that's not quite true, but you think polar bears in New York City? How's that even a possibility? Well, so what happens? It's Prospect Park. Uh, it's late spring and it's uh, late evening. The the zoo in Prospect Park is now closed. So three young men, 12 and 13, break into the park for the purpose of gathering the coins that people throw into the various animal reflecting pools and wading pools in the cages. So they're going through to collect the money and, you know, go buy some ice cream or whatever they, whatever kids that age do, uh, who knows what else. And uh, they get to the polar bear cage. 
So the little ringleader guy kind of says to the other two kids, let's go into the polo bears. He called them polo bears as opposed to polar bears. And uh, not, of course, realizing that the polar bear is probably the most voracious carnivore on the planet. Yeah. So uh, he intimidates the other two of his friends, take off your clothes, we're going in the, in the pool. And he makes them take off their clothes, and he throws the clothes over the fence into the polar bear cage. Now, a polar bear fence is designed to keep the polar bears in, not the people out. So it's far easier to get into the cage than it is to get out because it's got the reverse spikes. So anyway, uh, he starts over into the cage and forcing them to go up. Uh, he gets into the into the uh, polar bear cage and they chicken out. And they drop down into the street and he drops down into the cage. So the two polar bears are Teddy and Lucy. Teddy is the male. He's 1,200 pounds. And Lucy is the female. She's 900 pounds. And uh, he gets the hose and he starts tantalizing the polar bears with the hose. And uh, the garden hose or whatever, the water hose. And the two kids, they get scared and they start running down Flatbush Avenue scared to the wits. So people see two kids running down the middle of Flatbush Avenue and they're under where they call 911. Right. Cops come, and uh, by this time, the bear has the boy uh, uh, under control. So uh, it gets graphic here. Yeah, He's, we'll uh, leave that part alone. We'll you leave that you, part you and alone. your crew, you were forced in this situation because of, I'll say this, I say it all the time, if it wasn't for the behavior of humans, you never would have been there. Well, you know, uh, true. I mean, and, and God knows these polar bears amused families and kids for God knows how long. We love them. They're beautiful animals. They're God's creatures. But, you know, and, and, and when the animal rights people came after me, they said, you know, why are you killing those bears? Why couldn't you have done this, that, or the other thing? Of course, you know, they don't know that there's an immediate life in danger, and the polar bear is in the process of, uh, of uh, devouring. A, a, a human being. So now we, the police, have to make a decision between animal life and human life, and I, I think that's a fairly easy decision to make. Right, it is. So uh, that was the decision that was made, and uh, there was a number of officers that had to uh, uh, fire at these bears. Now, incidentally, uh, since there were three sets of clothing in the in the pool, and the officers on scene didn't know about the other two kids. They assumed it's a big cage, and there were two bears, and there were plenty of hiding places and nooks and crannies in there. So the assumption was that there were three uh, human kids in there uh, in peril. So both polar bears had to be shot. And believe me, it took quite a number of rounds to take those polar yeah. bears down. One of the things that we would get quite often, I'm sure you know the answer to this, and when I try to tell people the answer, they, they don't like it. Well, why didn't you use an animal tranquilizer gun? Then I'm thinking, well, the answer is the dosage that we carry would be enough to kill almost anything. 
Well, that's true, and and not only that, but the animal control system that we were afforded was not intended for big game. I mean, you know, you have to; those darts have to be loaded with a specific amount of of fluid, of of tranquilizer. It has to be a certain size dart. It has to propel a certain way. Now, uh, putting a dart into a dog, for example, is relatively simple, but getting the right size dart with the right size tip to inject into a polar bear is a, is quite a different situation. I mean, that's a 1,200-pound animal. I mean, the first the first bullets that you fired at these bears didn't even affect them. I mean, it, they were they were un, un, unmoved by even bullets in the beginning. That was a, so, a, a no-win yeah. situation for you and your crew. Yeah, I mean, you had a tough decision to make, and that's what police work is all about. It's about making a split-second decision that uh, no matter how hard you try to explain it, you're not going to find any understanding in the outside world because the average person doesn't have a clue of what it's like to make a life-and-death decision in seconds. And I'm sure you took a lot of blowback, uh, blowback in the media and from activist groups, didn't you? Oh, I have. I I still to this day have a packet of hate mail in in my uh, in my folder in my in, in the case folder that I that I keep for that for that case. And uh, you know they they were very antagonistic toward me personally, wishing me all kinds of you know uh, death and, and illness and whatnot for for being such a, a, a hateful person as to kill these innocent bears. So I mean, but hey, that that goes with the territory. I mean, obviously. Uh, the, 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 the real interesting thing about human nature is you'll get infinitely more criticism for killing an animal than you will for killing a human. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? And unfortunately, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad I didn't yeah. have to do either in my career. And, and trust me, there was yeah. lots of, uh, of violence. I want to switch gears. You, you retired. You said earlier in the conversation, you, you stayed involved in training. You're really involved in, in uh, ballistic shields. Tell us about that. So I, I cut my teeth on shields in ESU because obviously myself and my team, I mean, dozens of us wouldn't be walking around if it had not been for, for ballistic shields. So uh, I, 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 I developed a keen sense of awareness for shields. And uh, when, I, when I came to retirement time, uh, I was approached by a, a, an armor company that said, you know, we'd like to hire you to be our shield expert an armor expert. So I said, okay, and uh, I hung it up and I went to work and I went around the country uh, training, oh, I guess about 500 uh, tactical teams throughout the United States and and internationally on a ballistic shield training course that I developed. And during the course of that training, and anybody in law enforcement who knows anything about training will tell you, you learn more by training than you do, than you do teach, you know, you learn more from the cops than 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 than, than you give. So uh, I developed the, the idea after ten years of doing shield training, five hundred agencies over the over the course. I, I developed a, a product called the Bat Shield, the Baker Bat Shield, which is on the website, 
and it's a folding shield. It's a pistol threat shield. And what it does is it allows a single operator to deploy with a shield and a rifle together with one shield. It's a lightweight shield, and it flexes like bat wings. And uh, instead of having uh, two people uh, in, a, in a stack where the rifle, the major firepower is behind the shield, now you have a single operator with a rifle, which is faster. You're not depending upon step and drag. You're depending more on rapid deployment. And in the day of active shooter, where time is of the essence, you know, the studies say every 15 seconds another death. So you've got to get in there quick and stop the killing. So this system was developed for a ballistic shield and a rifle working together for uh, rapid deployment. And where now, can people get more information about that? Because I'll be honest with you, that sounds fascinating. It, it's fascinating, and it's and it's a tremendous thing, and especially in this day and age. I mean, we talk about kids, and we we look at Uvalde and some of these other terrible cases, and my goodness, uh, we, we have to be better prepared. But uh, my website has a, a complete information. Now, the Bat Shield has given way to the MRAPS, which is a rifle threat shield, because now, uh, today, we see a growing uh, incidence of, uh, of shooters using rifles. Right. So now the shield... Has has to stop the rifle. So now the question becomes, well, the rifle is bigger, it's heavier, it's thicker, it's good five times as much money. So uh, you're really stepping up to the big leagues when you have to bring a rifle on a rapid deployment. And we got to so cut you that. off. Get all the details at his website. That is BakerBallistics.com. Al, thanks so much for your service and thanks for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Both very much appreciated. My honor and pleasure. Thank you, sir. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.